You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This week, we're sipping on some skinny margs and talking about ration balancers. What are ration balancers anyway? And why is everything so dang expensive? Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to Happy Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniaka. Welcome to episode 112 of Heels Down Happy Hour. Hey guys. Hello, hello. Hello. What's going on? Canada wildfires, man. That's what's going on. It's craziness. Yeah. So is it real bad by you, Ellie? Yeah. So I think right now we're up in the 200 for our um, air quality index. Um, So the horses are inside so they can easily get to water. They've got fans and I'm trying to move out as much air as I can. But uh, it's definitely better in the barn because as soon as you step out of the barn, it smells like you're at a barn fire. I can't see my mountains around me. My sky is kind of orangey. Um, So it's spooky for sure. So I'm definitely thinking about everyone up in Canada and hoping that this will this will pass soon. We're we're hopefully going to get some rain in a couple days. So I'm hoping that'll help clear everything out. But not bad by you guys. I'm assuming Justine, you're you're far enough away. <laughs> yeah, no signs. Just yeah. hurricane season started, so it'll blow it away anyway. Yeah, don't worry. He'll yeah. be he'll blow it back north. <laughs> it's gonna uh, start coming. It's like stay away, stay away. Well, I had the most amazing drink that I personally made. I did ooh. get it off a recipe off Pinterest, so don't worry. Like I did not just like make it up. But I had friends over, I know this has been a couple weeks ago, but it was or almost a month ago, Cinco de Mayo, but I've now made it twice and it's so good. So I was making a bunch of stuff for Cinco de Mayo and decided to make skinny margaritas. And I've done skinny margaritas that still have like agave syrup and all this stuff. So I was like, I really want to try something that is like truly a skinny margarita type thing. So I found one that is one ounce tequila and I use uh, like a white Blanc, really like high quality tequila. Cause I'm not really a tequila person. So I feel like if I, I use like just kind of like medium, higher quality, not super expensive, but then it's not got that like bitter kind of tequila, tequila taste to it for me. So I use so basically you want tequila that just doesn't taste like tequila. <laughs> If I could make a margarita with a bourbon, then it's up my alley. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> but I haven't found that yet. So if somebody has a bourbon margarita recipe for me, like I got it. I'll drink that. So I found like two or three tequilas that I can like make mixed drinks with and it doesn't give me a headache. So I did one ounce tequila, one ounce contour, and an ounce and a half of lime juice. And I actually put a little more lime juice because it says even more to taste. And I put all of that into a shaker glass, filled it with ice, shook it up. And then I did a really like kind of thicker coarse salt and did like a salt rim on it. And I did the lime, did the salt rim and did salt and then put more ice in my little like cup, just did like a highball glass and then did the shaker and poured it in. And it was amazing. It was really, really good. I could mm. go for one of these right now. I know. And it was kind of <laughs> hot outside. So it was like perfect temperature and it was, it was amazing. I had one of them and I was like, perfect. This is my kind of margarita. Cause it wasn't Damn. super sweet and it 
the too much sugar kind of gives me my stomach and headache and everything. Right. I was going to say that's when you get the headache when you have like yeah. two of those, but so no, think, this sounds yeah. delicious. It was really, really good. So I totally recommend it. We will put the recipe I did find on Pinterest, but we'll put it uh, in the show notes and stuff. So it's perfect. This podcast is sponsored by Purina Animal Nutrition with three research-backed ration balancers to fill nutritional gaps in your horse's diet. Enrich Plus delivers a concentrated source of protein, vitamins, and minerals without unnecessary calories. Enrich Plus Senior features the Active Age prebiotic technology and the Outlast supplement for aging easy keepers. The Omega Match is rich in omega-3 fatty acids and vitamin E, great for horses without access to green grass. Find a ration balancer for your horse at purinamills.com forward slash ration balancers or visit your local feed store. All right, guys, it's time for news. And our news section is brought to you by the Heels Down Spark, the only daily equestrian newsletter. It's free. If you want to subscribe, you can go to bit.ly slash forward spark by HD. Jess, you want to go first? Yeah, I just want to, I feel like my news has been sad lately, but uh, I do really want to give a shout out because I feel like a lot of people kind of got go over looked a lot on social and everything else. And I really just want to give a shout out. So there was a younger rider. She actually uh, was last year's young rider, European champion. She was at Bicton with her younger horse in the CCI three-star long format this past weekend in Bicton uh, over in England. And she had a bad accident with her little eventing mare, Daiquiri. And the horse ended up having to be euthanized on course They had a fall cross country. The horse had to be euthanized. She actually had to be airlifted out and is in the ICU, but she is in stable condition, it says, in the ICU. So I just want to give a big shout out that hopefully she's doing better and our thoughts and prayers are with her because it's such a crazy time to have lost her horse. And then now the parents are having to deal with this. So, you know, just wanted to give a big shout out to her because, you know, she was a bright young rider and we hope she makes a recovery and everything. Absolutely. That's a terrible story. Yeah. So I just wanted to, you know, let everybody know over in Europe and everything that we are thinking about her and hopefully she is, you know, going to be able to recover and everything else over in the uh, hospital in England. What about you, Ellie? Well, I felt bad uh, because I also have some bad news, but I think it's got a positive spin on it. Um, So I'm sure everyone's kind of seen the snippets, but there's been 12 horses that have died over the past month at Churchill Downs. And so Churchill Downs is going to suspend racing for several weeks um, after the 12 horses that have died and the other horses that have been uh, injured uh, over the past month. So they're relocating all of their races to Ellis Park, which is in Henderson, Kentucky. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, so definitely scary for such a, you know, well-respected racetrack to be doing something like this. But I think it's got a very, you know, positive spin on it. They, they're saying, you know, what happened at our track is, you know, deeply upsetting and absolutely unacceptable. So they're going to, you know, shut everything down uh, starting on June 7th. And they're going to have a complete investigation from the racing authorities because as of right now, they haven't found a single factor to determine what caused the deaths. Um, so the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority is going to do a top-to-bottom review of all the safety 
and surface protocols, as well as the integrity measures and collaboration and consultation with nationwide experts to make sure that it is safe to race horses there. So I think it's a good thing. Um, Horrible that so much bad has happened there, but I'm glad to see that they're making a stand towards animal welfare. Good for them. Good for them that they're going to take action and say, hey, look, we're going to move all of our races. It's very inconvenient for everybody, but we need to get to the bottom of this. So honestly, props to them because that that's a huge step forward in trying to fix a lot of the problems. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, it's a PR nightmare, right? It's like a yeah. crisis PR moment. And then even the Preakness, like Bob Baffert's horse dies and the next one wins, right? Is, um, yeah. It's, it's like the worst optics for the industry. And this integrity organization was created to help put systems in place to protect the horses, right? So yeah. it shows that that is working, whether people like it or not. It exactly. Is, it kind of reminds me of the safe sport argument of everyone up in arms about how, how annoying safe sport is, but it, it is there for a reason, right? Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very pleased to see this because at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, as somebody who engages with horses from a hobby sport and Olympic sport perspective, what happens in racing affects us. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. And the welfare I, and everything, it, it reflects yeah, on us. Yeah. When you like, I, you know, I read the New York Times articles online and then look at the comments, which as a journalist, you're never supposed to do, but I... But it shows just, one, the literacy problem in our country, but also it shows um, just how little people really understand the context of, right, like the number 12 horses died is is a lot and is really scary, but they all died in very individual circumstances and we need to understand why. Um, But for people who don't understand the sport or understand horses, all they see is that number and that is very grim and we just we need to be more investigative so that we can provide the public with more information so it's not this quick to like cancel all horse racing right in this oh yeah day and age of this culture where we just write off stuff so quickly right so uh, you know it's it's tough right um as somebody who loves thoroughbreds i I wish they never had to race, but you know, then I would never know thoroughbreds if the racing industry didn't exist. So we have to find some sort of system that works to protect the horses. And I'm glad to see that if track as prominent and as public facing as Churchill Downs is trying to do something serious about it. So we'll, we'll see what comes next. Right. Yeah. What have you got, Justine? Okay, well, I've got happy news. Um, oh, good. Good. Thank goodness. <laughs> so it's the Devon time of year, which is a lovely, magical time of year. Devon is just like one of those horse shows that's just a complete bucket list. It's just there's something about the oval and the you know the classes there and just the atmosphere of this r- truly tremendous horse show that spans a number of disciplines that just makes it a really cool and magical place to be. So I just wanted to highlight a you know several of the riders who won big this year. I love seeing Buck come out on top on the arena eventing. It like I know eventing is not ever really supposed to be done in an arena, but it's so fun that it exists in at Devon in this way. It's a really fun thing to watch. I actually streamed it on Clip My Horse over the weekend while I was at a horse show because I saw like Bucks round, but I wanted to see everybody else's. And it's just so much fun. And I love to see the audience cheering on riders. It was cool. So congrats to Buck. 
And then also Hunt Tosh continues like his unbelievable. He was on fire. Startup. It was it was beautiful. I know. Like you just can't beat him, man. It's amazing. No. It's like truly like even if you don't appreciate the hunters like that, like you just you can't argue with that. That that is just a gorgeous ride. Um, so it was cool to see him win some accolades again this year. And then honestly, Ashley Bond winning the She was on fire. It was so great. It was so fun to watch. And you know, she's a name that's been been around for a little while, but it was just cool to see her take home a big win. Um, no, it was it was time well do. And then Devin Ryan was second, which was pretty awesome on the Eddie Blue Horse, which is oh, a longtime porter of him. So it was it was some great results, to be honest. Like I was Super excited. They both went double clear, but like it was so so fun to watch. And it was it was good. Like I love Devin year and stuff, Devin, but it was a know? really good fun year for them to come out of the four star with two top results. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it was just a really fun year to like catch up on Devin stuff. So so that's my news is Devin was fun. <laughs> yes. A big shout out to everyone who helps us continue to make this podcast possible and donates to us on Patreon. We really appreciate everyone who helps us and we have a lot of exclusive content for you guys there and you should definitely check it out. So that's P A T R E O N.com slash heels down. All right, guys. So I got to try a ration balancer. This is a relatively new product from Purina. I've been feeding it for the last two months and I felt like that was long enough where I've, you know, I've kind of figured out the product um, to share with you guys. So I tried the Purina Omega Match Balancer, and I, I chose this product after having a consult with a Purina nutritionist to find out if either one of my thoroughbred geldings would be a good candidate for a ration balancer. So as you know, Mikey is on rest and in rehab, so he's not really getting a ton of turnout time. We only just started introducing some very uh, highly supervised completely on drugs, small paddock turnout time for poor Mikey. But he's a horse that, you know, for the vast majority of his life with me has spent a lot of time turned out. So he, I, I've always worried for him that he's missing something, right? That he's not getting in that time on grass anymore. And that's what this Omega Match Balancer is designed to be. So Purina created this and it was formulated by their equine nutritionists with ingredients that are meant to be essentially like inspired by feeding fresh pasture. So there's some, you know, like, so like if your horses are used to being out on grass or say you're someone who's on the show circuit for many weeks at a time and your horse doesn't get consistent turnout, this is a great product to consider. Or even if your horse is on stall rest, which is kind of Mikey, right? This limited ingre- ingredient formula basically replaces what your horses get during a grazing period. It has a bunch of fatty acids and antioxidants that you would find in green grass. Um, But it's still a ration balancer, which means that it provides a way to fill nutritional gaps. So say, like I said, if your horse can't go out on green grass, or if you have a horse that has some metabolic concerns, so say you turn your horses out in a dry lot for that reason, or, um, or even if you feed like a complete feed, like I feed a senior feed to Mikey, but he, he, to be honest, he's just like, he's just a big fat dude. He has a dad bod right now that we're trying to work off and rehab. 
that he's not getting, like, honestly, we backed him off the grain a little bit because he's so fat. <laughs> so he's not getting the recommended amount that uh, he should be getting per feeding. So I feel comfortable supplementing the ration balancer at this time since he's not meeting that um, volume of feed that is recommended to feed at this time. So it's, um, and he still gets, you know, his normal sources of hay and forage. But what I like about uh, this product is you can feed a little bit more of it than like a normal ration balancer balancer because it's not crazy nutrient dense that like for horses that live on a balancer as their sole way to like fill in the gaps of a forage based diet. This for this product is made of like flaxseed and timothy, so you can feed a little bit more of it. Um, and I will tell you, I started feeding it to Mikey almost like a treat in the beginning. Like here, here's like a bucket after. I'm done grooming you to eat like a little treat. And he eats, he just eats it up. He really likes it. So it's a really nice product. It's easy to find. It's in my tractor supply. It's at my local feed stores. And I had a bunch of questions when I, you know, when I was first considering this, right? Because I have a horse that's not really in a ton of work. So I didn't want to feed anything that was too high in protein that would make him wild and crazy. Because that's the last thing I need right now is him being any wilder than he already is. And I got into that with Dr. Kelly Vineyard, who is our guest on the show this week. So you'll have to wait till our segment and our interview with her to find out a little bit more about why ration balancers work and when is a good time to consider one for your horse. But if you want to learn more about the Purina Omega Match Balancer, you can go to PurinaMills.com and look at their ration balancers and find it there. Again, it's the Purina Omega Match Balancer. All right. So I'm here with Dr. Kelly Vineyard from Purina Animal Health, and we are going to talk about ration balancers today. So ration balancers have been a feed option for horses for a long time, but I still think there's quite a bit of confusion when people go to the feed store and they're looking at a traditional complete feed bag of grain and a ration balancer. So Dr. Vineyard, I was hoping we could start just by can you explain what a ration balancer is and what makes it different than like a traditional complete feed? Sure. So when you you think about a you know feed that you can buy for your horse at the feed store, as nutritionists, we we kind of can put them into three different categories, with ration balancers being one of the categories, but let me briefly describe the other two categories so then we can differentiate, you know, what a ration balancer is. So the, th- the three different categories of feeds are one would be a complete feed, meaning um, and a, the definition of a complete feed from a nutritionist standpoint means that it can replace hay or it can fully or partially replace hay in the diet. So it has fiber built in. And a good example of that is, you know, your t- typical senior feeds, right? Equine senior can be fed to horses that can no longer eat hay because the hay is built into the formula. And that's a true complete feed. It also has vitamins and minerals added to, to, you know, meet all the horse's nutrient requirements. Then you have a concentrate feed. And that I will admit, most of us nutritionists call it that. A lot of the general horse population will just call it feed. Um, But a concentrate feed is designed to supply calories and, you know, essential nutrients, protein, vitamins, and minerals. And that's your typical, you know, sweet feeds, your pelleted feeds, grains, you know, grain-based feeds, grain mixes that are not, don't have the actual, they're not meant to replace hay. You feed them along with hay. Okay. Okay. But they also are providing calories. Now you've got your third category, ration balancer. 
So I like to think of a ration balancer. It is a, a form of a concentrate, but it's really not intended to supply calories. The A ration balancer does exactly what it says. It balances a forage-based ration. So the, okay. the main ration for a horse would be hay and grass and, you know, any type of forage. And then the ration balancer comes in and balances the nutrients that are missing in a forage-based diet. It's not adding calories. It's not adding, you know, usually any other kind of feed ingredients. It is just protein, vitamins, and minerals. So in a way, you can think of it like it's like from a human perspective, like, you know, we're, we eat, take our centrum vitamin, you know, to make sure we get everything in our, the, fill the gaps in the diet. The ration balancer fills nutritional gaps of a forage-based diet because forages uh, will not contain enough trace minerals to meet a horse's daily nutrient requirement. They're tra- tra- traditionally always going to be low in copper and zinc. Um, and also specifically when you're talking about protein, de- depending on the horse, sometimes forages are not going to meet essential amino acid requirements either. Um, and then, you know, vitamins can vary depending on how the forage is harvested. So your ration balancer is is basically your insurance policy that you're meeting all of your horse's needs that horse is eating a forage only diet. And if you fed them a concentrate, they would get too fat. You don't, you know, they couldn't, they don't need a concentrate because they're keeping their weight really well on a forage based diet. And so the ration balancer is to balance the ration of a forage based diet. Interesting. Now I know generally a ration balancer is fed not nearly at the same volume, you know, feed a concentrate or complete feed. And is that just because it's so nutrient dense? You're really just, like you said, balancing those minerals that you're not getting from the the forage? Yes, exactly. Traditionally, ration balancers are a one to two pound a day for a thousand pound horse uh, feeding rate. And and that's also to keep the calories low as well. You know, your your concentrate feeds, you know, will be greater than that, you know, maybe three to four pounds a day minimum feeding rate. Um, because it's it contains some some other ingredients, you know, either you know beef pulp or grain based ingredients or things like that. The ration balancer is not going to contain uh, much or any of those types of ingredients. It's it's just you know you got your protein ingredients and then you got your vitamin and minerals and then you know probably a little bit of something in there at least to make it tasty because you know vitamins and minerals by themselves don't taste good for horses. So you do as <laughs> a feed manufacturer when we're creating these ration balancers we definitely have to you know put something else in there to to make it not taste terrible um so they'll actually eat it um and and so yeah but it's a very low volume and and that keeps the calories down you know a lot of these horses do have you know issues you know being overweight and that a ration balancer is a great you know option for horses that are overweight um they don't need extra calories from a concentrate but they do need nutrition, right? So right. that's where the ration balancer comes in. So that was my next question. Are What type of horses are generally good candidates to, to eat a ration balancer? Yeah. So that would be your easy keepers. So easy keepers can fall into a lot of categories. You can have easy keeper performance horses that, you know, that are working and you're riding and, and but they still, you know, are, are maybe they're a breed that tends to be an easy keeper. They can do really well with ration balancers. You know, your retired horses or horses that are not being worked, that are out to pasture, um, they're definitely good candidates for ration balancers. And then we also use ration balancers in um, growing and breeding horses uh, very regularly, especially in some of the easier keeper breeds. 
broodmares can do really well on ration balancers up through their third trimester of gestation. Typically, most mares are going to need more calories once they start lactating. And then also in that third trimester when a lot of fetal development is occurring. So a lot of times we'll recommend transitioning to a, a growth feed that third trimester and then in through lactation for that mare. But then once you wean her and she stops lactating, a lot of them can do really well, you know, going back on a ration balancer and, and good quality forage. And then with growing horses, kind of through that phase where they're still with mom, um, we recommend, you know, creep feeds, a growth feed. But then once they're weaned, you know, depending on the horse, you know, if it's a horse, you know, a young growing horse that has really good forage, they may can do really well with a, a ration balancer too. And then finally, one of the really good applications for ration balancers that I utilize them in, especially like working with veterinarians and working with young growing horses that have developmental orthopedic disease or DOD, ration balancers are a very good tool to use when you are dealing with DOD and young horses. You do want to try to slow their growth rate down, but you don't want to deprive them of essential nutrients. So instead of just starving them and putting them on a hay-only diet, which I do see happen occasionally out in the world, um, that's not um, going to supply those, you know, you're not going to get good calcium for the bones. You're not going to get, you know, the trace minerals to help help healthy cartilage development. So the ration balancer comes in for those horses with DOD, gives them essential nutrients, but it reduces the overall calories in the ration so we can kind of slow their growth right down, let the DOD resolve and kind of get back to a healthier growth pattern. Got it. So there's no situation where someone might be feeding a complete or concentration feed and top dressing with a ration balancer, right? You wouldn't want to mix those. That does happen. So top dressing concentrates with ration balancers. We used to recommend that actually quite often because a ration balancer is such a good source of protein, especially. So a couple scenarios where you may want to do that. Number one, if you are feeding below the recommended feeding rate for, for a concentrate feed, like say you have like a grain mix feed, but you're only feeding one or two pounds a day, you have two options to meet your horse's nutrient requirements. You can either just switch to a ration balancer instead um, and don't bother with feeding one or two pounds of that grain mix, um, or you would want to top dress a ration balancer on top of that because the one or two pounds a day of a grain mix, that feed's not formulated to feed that low of feeding rate. Okay. So if you want to make sure that horse is getting enough copper and zinc and essential amino acids, yes, you will need to top dress a, a ration balancer. And that can work really well. You know, if, if you have kind of the horse in, in between, you know, maybe a ration balancer alone isn't quite enough to keep them where you want them, um, but you don't want to feed four pounds a day of a grain mix then you can do a blend. You can do a ration balancer and use that as your base of your diet. And then just top dress with one or two pounds of, of another product with more calories in it. Um, and that can work well. And then otherwise, if you're feeding, say you're feeding, you know, the recommended rate, but you would like to add some protein, say you're, maybe your forage is pretty poor quality and it's really low protein. And, and you know that, but you know, this is what you have to deal with. And you want to um, increase the protein concentration of your ration you can utilize a ration balancer and top dress that to add some protein to the diet. 
Interesting. Well, I'm glad I brought this up. So I have a thoroughbred gelding that is on stall rest. He yeah. He's recovering from a suspensory injury. So he does not have access to pasture like he usually would. Right. Um, He eats a senior feed and is for a thoroughbred, I would consider him a fairly easy keeper. Like he holds just fine. But for example, I was looking at the Purina Omega Match product as something that could supply what he's not getting so much in forage since he's no, no longer out on grass. Right, right. So all he gets is hay right now. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that would be a safe time to consider a ration balancer like that? So yeah, actually stall rest is one of the situations where we definitely recommend ration balancers because you do uh, want, you don't want to feed them extra energy, right? Right. Because <laughs> uh, some, some of them can get a little crazy on stall rest. And even if not, I mean, there's no sense in pouring calories into a horse that can't expend them. So right. a ration balancer is the perfect choice because if you're feeding a senior, a true senior feed, most senior feeds have a higher minimum recommended feeding rate than a concentrate. Um, so you would probably need to be feeding him six, seven pounds a day of the senior feed to be yep. meeting his nutrient requirements, but that may be too much for him on stall rest, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, transitioning to a ration balancer will reduce the calories, but it'll actually increase the nutrients. And it'll also help support healing of, of his tendons and, and ligaments and soft tissue. So um, the Omega Match is, is unique in that it's a ration balancer that's specifically made for horses that have limited access or no access to pasture. Um, it's basically, you know, formulated with, with quite a bit of Timothy hay and flaxseed. Grass is one of the best sources of omega-3 fatty acids there is in the horse's diet. So when a horse is not eating fresh grass, um, he's not getting, you know, the omegas from there and uh, both omega-3s and omega-6s. And so that's where the flax comes in to help provide that, that he would not be getting in grass. The other neat thing about Omega Match is there's natural source vitamin E that would normally be found in fresh grass. but um, that is low in hay. So that's added into that formula. There's added biotin to help support hoof health and hoof growth. And so it is, and it's got outlast in it. So if we're mm-hmm. a horse on stall rest, you know, probably a little stressed, you know? Sure. Um, and so, and, and so the outlast gastric support is just a little bit of extra support in that situation. Interesting. Okay. I'm, I'm glad I picked it. I thought it was uh, worth a try. And I, yeah. I will say, he finds it very palatable. He loves it. So well, good. Well, good. I to him as like a treat when I see him because I'm, you know, I'm feeding such a low amount, right? One to two right. pounds, essentially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he really likes it. Well, um, that's the nice thing about Omega Match too. It's a ration bouncer where the feeding rate is actually 0.2 pounds per hundred pounds of body weight, so it's like a two pound minimum feeding rate. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you can actually feed even a little bit more than that and and be because it does have the flax and the Timothy. So I actually kind of think of it as a low volume feed. So maybe okay. once you start turning him back out and maybe he needs a little more calories, you know, you can feed it up to four to five pounds a day and, and be good. So, you know, so there, that one actually has a little bit of a higher feeding rate, allowed feeding rate than your traditional ration balancers. But that's just a, a unique feature of that formula. Interesting. So another question I have related to, you know, my specific horse is 
because I'm I'm new to ration balancers too. So this this is a, a little bit of a a new territory for me. But mm-hmm. I've always heard you should be careful that you're not we're not adding too many different products to the mix of his you know of his routine feeding. Right. We're not oversupplying something that could actually be yeah, bad for him, like sel- selenium or something like that. Is is there yeah. any concerns like that that I should be aware of? Well, always because you never want to over supplement. And if you are feeding a ration balancer, according to the feeding directions, you know, like as a nutritionist, when I formulate a ration balancer, you know, I know what the minimum selenium requirement is for a horse. And I also know what the maximum is, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and selenium is a good example because it's, it it's one of the minerals with the narrowest safety margin of, of all the minerals. So I formulate that knowing that if you feed to my according to my directions that we wrote on the bag, your horse's selenium requirement is going to be met. And you don't need to feed any other selenium supplements. And that actually goes for all of the nutrients in the ration balancers. You know, a good ration balancer formulated, you know, by an equine nutritionist is going to provide everything that horses need, everything that horse needs in a day if you follow the feeding directions. And that's a big caveat. (laughs) A lot of people don't bother to read the feeding directions. Right. <laughs> so, you know, read the directions, look at your, and it's by your horse's body weight. You know, not every horse weighs a thousand pounds. Most of them weigh more than that. You know, I have a horse, he weighs 1400 pounds. So I have to make sure, you know, I just don't assume he's, he needs one pound a day of a ration balancer. No, he actually needs 1.4 pounds a day, you know, but read the directions, feed it with good quality forage because your horse is still on a forage based diet. Um, so the forage is really critical, but if you're feeding a ration balancer, you have to just be aware. You probably don't need to be feeding any other vitamin mineral supplements or, you know, you know, we could talk about supplementation on a whole nother hour, but you, there are time, there is a time and place for individual nutrients and individual ingredients for supplements, but just to meet a horse's daily nutrient requirements, a ration balancer covers it a hundred percent. Gotcha. Okay. So th- knowing that, I- I'm thinking about Purina's other ration balancer, Enrich, and I know that there is a-, a senior version coming soon. What would a consumer need to know the difference between, you know, the original Enrich formula versus what will be different in the senior version that maybe they would consider switching to the senior version? Yeah, so I'm really excited about Enrich Plus Senior. Um, it-, it has all of the benefits of a good quality ration balancer. And so Enrich Plus has been around for years. You know, it's been the good, great ration balancer for easy keepers, performance horses, young horses, and nothing's changing on that. It's, you know, still good for metabolic horses. It's still good for, you know, easy keepers and all of that good stuff. Enrich Plus Senior comes in and we decided to add Outlast to it because, you know, we really believe in Outlast and, the other, I guess, selfishly, I know that the Enrich Plus Senior is going to be great for performance horses. <laughs> Outlast can also, you know, is also good for performance horses. Um, a lot of, you know, senior horses, you know, if if they do have trouble chewing, the the formula within Enrich Plus Senior is kind of we call it this easy to chew formula. We we have this technology that we've utilized when we created Equine Senior to look at chew strength and like the mechanics of chewing. So we incorporated that chew technology into our Enrich Plus Senior Pellet. 
So it's easy to chew, easy to soak. So it soaks up really nice when you add water if you have a horse with poor teeth. Um, and then really importantly, it includes the active age prebiotic technology. And that's actually a patented technology. We um, found it to be so effective um, for supporting immune function. It supports mobility and also, um, you know, appropriate metabolism, appropriate response to a mill insulin glucose. It helps with insulin glucose dynamics. And so that active age is also built into the Enrich Plus Senior. So you kind of got these, what I like to call bells and whistles, right? Added to the Enrich Plus Senior formula makes it really good for really older, older horses because of the chew and the active age. But it also makes it really good for your performance horses that are easy keepers, but that could benefit from the outlast and the active age also. Got it. Interesting. Okay. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot here, but uh, Dr. Vineyard, I always like, like to ask, like, are there any myths or misconceptions about balancers that you'd like to put to rest here or that you've seen um, maybe people feed them incorrectly that you, that you would advise against? Yeah, I would say a couple of things. So feeding a ration balancer, I mean, you are feeding a forage-based diet. So really a key to success with a, a ration balancer is your hay quality and your forage, right? I mean, if you think about it, your horse is eating 20 pounds a day of something. If he's eating one pound of ration balancer, you know, he's getting 19 pounds of forage. So it's really critical, you know, to have a successful, you know, to, if, to make sure your horse does well, you know, really plenty of forage and good quality forage. And then, you know, using that ration balancer to fill in the nutritional gaps. So that, that's what it's, it's intended for is to fill in those nutritional gaps, you know, of, of the forage. But if you have really poor quality forage, it doesn't matter what ration balancer you feed. You know, the horse is not going to thrive. He, you know, he still needs really good quality forage. I think as far as watch outs or kind of myth. So when I was a kid uh, growing up, um, we fed, you know, what I like to say was the original ration balancer. And it was a product called Calf Mana. And it was great because it was a, a product that you fed these kind of the fat horses. It provided extra protein, some extra nutrients, this, these horses that didn't need like a full scoop of grain every day. And gosh, I was a kid a long time ago. So that's been around for a long time. We, you know, now in modern equine nutrition, we have made a lot of strides and there's now equine specific ration balancers on the market. And I know like, the, you know, that some of these older like calf mana and there's other products too are still out there, but we've come a long way with equine nutrition. So, you know, my watch out is, you know, make sure you're feeding a ration balancer formulated for horses that is, you know, very well formulated. Because again, it is a bit of a process to make sure we create a formula that in a one pound feeding rate is going to meet that horse's nutrient requirements when paired with hay. So having a well-formulated ration balancer that's specifically formulated for horses is just going to you know, make sure that your horse gets everything he needs. Got it. All right. And I, you know, the other thing, if, you know, if you've got I, one of the biggest mistakes I probably see just general talking with horse owners and, and, and a feeding mistake is underfeeding, you know, like a concentrate or even a senior feed, a complete feed. There are so many people out there 
that are just, you know, maybe feeding a half a scoop of senior twice a day. And that would maybe equate to two or three pounds of a senior feed twice a day. That Their horse is probably missing some essential nutrients in their diet because senior feeds are formulated to at a higher feeding rate because they contain, you know, part of the hay in, in that formula. So read your feeding directions, find out if you're underfeeding your product. And if you are, if you're only feeding one or two or three pounds a day of something, you probably need a ration balancer instead. You probably should switch to a ration balancer and your horse actually will do much better because he'll be getting a more nutrient dense, you know, product and it, it'll be meeting his nutrient requirements um, more effectively. That makes sense to me. So all this conversation about feeding horses and buying different products, just, I don't know, it makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up a little bit. Cause as someone who is new to owning two horses for the first time in my life that I've ever had more than one, I'm just like, I just can't look at how much I spend on the horses anymore. Cause it's like insane. Some months, it's just crazy. And, you know, I feel like this is something I've been hearing all over the place, like in my own barn, with fellow boarders and my trainer, just it, you know, inflation really hasn't helped anything, but it's not like horses were cheap to have before, before the pandemic. I'm, but I just feel like I'm, I'm hearing more people really starting to struggle to make ends meet with horses. And maybe that means they're not showing on the rated circuits anymore. And they're just doing schooling shows, which is pretty much my plan for now. But you know, even that is obviously frivolous if you're showing horses at all. But I wondered if if you guys are starting to see this and feel this in your own programs. Obviously, the three of us come at this conversation at very different levels and with different experiences and different people in terms of who's how serious we are with horses. But maybe Jess, obviously, you and Doug have a whole fleet of your own horses, but you have students like how how are you guys feeling about just the astronomical costs. What it sucks. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, it sucks, and we, you know, we do partner with the majority of our horses, or at least a lot of them. I wouldn't even say the majority of them, but what we found is like from like a barn perspective. Like I actually, funny enough, three weeks ago, just ran. I'm a numbers person, but was just running the numbers. Like, what is the actual cost? for my horse, like a horse to be in the barn, making sure my numbers are correct. And I try to do that, you know, on a, I wouldn't say a regular basis, but maybe like a six month to a year basis to make sure it's, what is the actual change happening? You know? So like I pull months of data, do it all to like, what is it actually costing a horse to be in the barn? You know? So I pull in all the numbers and everything else. So it's just doing this a couple of weeks ago, which is always depressing to do, to be honest. Like, yep. <laughs> I hate running the numbers, but I try to do it every six months to a year to like stay on top. Like how much does it really change? Am I actually, you know, making all this stuff? And so what I've done in the last, I guess the past six months, like really hadn't, I probably did it six months ago and it, it changed a little bit, but I think my strategy changed a little bit now that we're you know, more comfortable with the area and everything else. So I started running numbers. I got my shavings down a lot. That was huge. I, a year ago was maybe a year and a half ago, I was using a different hay source too. So I started just like shopping around, to be honest. Like that was the biggest thing is like, okay, look, I think this is a good deal, but is that the best deal out there? 
And it is a pain. You do have to call around. But I, you know, my one feed store, hay store, whatever, where I was getting my shavings for, like it was up to almost $10 a bag for shavings. And I was like, because we do bag shavings because there's not really a place at the farm and I end up losing too much because I know that everybody says bulk shavings is the better way to go. Well, in the past, bag shavings were better for me. So I went around and then I kept going down and I still, you know, stay on top of it to make sure I'm getting the best deal. And I'm at like $5.99 a shavings now. So that's a huge difference. That's $4 a bag from what the one store wanted to charge me because they were going up. And I didn't just say, okay, great. I'm just going to stay with you. I said, no, I I can't. I've got to go shop around. So things like that. And same with hay. And now I have a very good broker for hay and he'll call and you know, we just have a conversation quite frequently that says, hey, look, if you've got good quality and it's still this, I buy by the tractor trailer load, which sucks when you have to write the check, but it's <laughs> at the end of the day, much cheaper because I'm having to get hay shipped down from the Midwest or Canada or New York. And he sources it for me to find the best deal. And then we just stay on top of it. So things like that is Grain still stays about the same and everything else, but definitely making sure my daily cost of supplies. And I'm really good. Like, I don't just buy, you know, whatever I find on one website. Like, I price search and maybe it takes me 30 minutes longer, but I make sure, you know, their summer blankets or whatever are not the most expensive. And I go and definitely price check a lot so that my numbers can stay as low as possible. So what about with clients, like students and and stuff? Because like, you know, my trainer is somebody I go to when I'm like, hey, you know, like obviously paying board is a priority. I'm, I'm not someone who's ever not been able to do that. But I come to my trainer when I'm like, you know, for advice for things like that. Are you feeling that just with your students or anything or trying to help them look for ways to save or things. So that they same can do. thing. Like we've kind of gone to, I had one client the other day that we kind of went through this show schedule. She's a very competitive, competitive show jumper, but still it's expensive. Right. So, you know, I'm like, well, maybe you skip these two weeks because they're probably going to be bigger weeks for a bunch of like the amateurs to be there. And you could probably make better money and prize money because she is very competitive, has a very good horse. So we started looking at the schedule of like, what would be better off for her to show at? Cause she's got a better chance to do some bigger stuff. So she did like a welcome the other, like a couple months ago, basically. Cause like there weren't that many entries in it. And then, you know, looking at numbers for her in particular, kind of, cause she is very competitive and the money could be there that we looked at that. And then the other ones, we look at same, okay, this week's expensive because it's, you know, an FEI week, the stalls are more expensive. But if we wait till August, stalls are less expensive for the exact same horse show, same arenas, same everything. So making sure for those certain people, like, yeah, there is that. And then just staying on top of it as well. Like if they need supplies and stuff, you know, everybody was due for fly sheets or whatever else, like making sure, you know, they're not just buying it at retail cost. A lot of times they're on sale. Right. What about you, Ellie? I mean, obviously you have clients that you teach lessons, but even from your own perspective of running your own farm, I just, 
I can feel the anxiety thinking about bills. <laughs> right. Like, do you have any tips or how do you work with your clients with, you know, just the affordability aspect? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely gotten worse. I mean, and, and like Jess said, I think running the numbers is really important. Like, I, I, you know, to know what each horse costs, because unfortunately, it, it's a scary number. <laughs> you don't um, want to see the number, promise. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's good to know. And I and I remember doing it, honestly, even when I was a boarder, just saying like, okay, hypothetically, like, you know, how much of my like money is actually going towards board. And, and I think that a big thing that people need to realize is boarding doesn't really make you any money. <laughs> um, you know, I think on my border, I make $20 a month. That's it. Like it's the rest of it goes towards the upkeep of everything else that has to happen, the shavings. The and that's a the, big expense that most people think, oh, you're boarding, you're making money. Like, right. it's, it's very hard. No, maybe if I magically had a, you know. A money tree? Yeah, or a 60, <laughs> or a 60 stall barn that I never had to pay any kind of electricity bills for or water bills for. Like, I mean, it's not. You know, it's not like that stuff is is free. So or I think mortgage or everything else. Yeah, yeah, or property taxes. Yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. It's not. It's not free. It's not. Nothing is cheap. But I think I I know I've noticed with a couple of of my clients. You know, they they've cut back. Like I we talked about last week. You know, they've cut back on lessons and things like that, which I I totally understand. You know, and I've done it on myself as well. It's like you know as much as I want to lesson and I want to show, you know, this summer, it's like, I don't know if that's going to be a possibility for me because what comes first is, you know, their health and their well-being. So like, especially right now with, you know, the vet calls and things like that, you know, it, it even though I have horses that aren't lame that I could show and I could go do thing, fun things with, right. I'm not doing that because, you know, when you, when you spend 20 bucks on one, that's 20 bucks you can't spend on the others. So I think that that is something to keep in mind, you know, and I, I don't think any trainer is going to be offended if you are a multi a week lessener and you're like, look, like I know I did three days a week, but I've got to do two days a week now, you know, because right. of this, you know, I think it, it's something everyone, whether you're in the equine industry or not, is feeling and it's hitting all of us. So I think that, you know, I think it's important for for trainers as as hard it is, especially if that is your full and only job. That's a really hard hit because unfortunately people cut back on your services. So that's that's a big one. But I think it's, you know, everyone understands it, especially in the industry. Like we're all trying to do what's best for the horses and to continue to feed the stinking horses. <laughs> I think that that's, you know, the overall thing is like, it, it sucks and it, it does come in waves. Like, I mean, my shavings have gone up $3 a bag yeah. since, since COVID and everything. My grain has gone up four and a half dollars a bag. And, you know, it's like, could I give them a cheaper, crappier grain? Yes. But am I going to do that? No. <laughs> you know? All right. Um, so it's like 
am I going to buy a new pair of underwear this month? Not happening. The, those, <laughs> you know, those holes are going to stay there for a couple more. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's like the socks. I'll, I'll stitch them up, but, you know, so I can keep going. But I mean, I think, you know, I think it's good to have those conversations. And like, I don't think anyone should feel ashamed or, you know, anything like that if they're struggling to do something. Because I think everyone is struggling right now. And I think it's just like, it's okay. No one is going to judge you because you went to one horse show this month instead of two. Yeah. You know, absolutely. We we're all getting it. Like even the facilities that are putting on these shows are feeling it. So I think that everybody needs to just give themselves some grace and acknowledge that it's okay. And acknowledge that inflation is a thing. And somehow we love these big, expensive animals. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can back you up on the cost of boarding, Ellie, as someone like, so I spend the most I've ever spent on board in my life right now for Mikey to live in a full board situation. And I've never really been anyone but a full board person because I'm someone who has a professional career with odd hours. I just, always needed that peace of mind that my horse was cared for if I couldn't get to the barn. Flash forward to today and I'm at the barn every day anyway because of my horse is really mostly on rest and if I'm not there then he stays in the stall and I that's in my own brain. I can't deal with that so I drive to the barn every day. I don't live close to the barn. It's a 45 minute commute on a good day. So all that's gas and tolls I have to spend to get there. Mm -hmm. And then I'm an idiot and bought a second one that is (laughs) self-care boarded across the street, who is very happy in his situation. But obviously you guys know he's off the track and I just like cannot pump enough calories in him at any given time. So I'm just feeding an arm and a leg every day (laughs) to keep weight on this (laughs) damn horse. So can confirm 100% as someone who pays a full board check every month and then has to buy the feed for the horse across the street that it's about the same, man. Like I, I'm not Mm -hmm. making, yeah, I'm barely saving any money by doing the self-care where I have to clean the stall every day because I'm, and I'm feeding them like pretty much the same amount, you know, the only difference is the lessons and the lessons are how my trainer makes it work. Like, you know, like I can't, I can't falter because she's. She is trying to make it as affordable for all of us to keep her barn full, right? And lessons are just how she makes it work. It's, yeah, it's tough. I don't really have good tips because it's just outrageously expensive to do this right now. And then I I think about my farrier who spends his entire day in his truck driving around and the cost of gas is insane. Mm -hmm. And he probably drives 200 miles a day to shoe horses and and his costs just recently went up. Like what I pay for my horses is more expensive now than they were last year. But at the end of the day, he's just trying to stay in business. So this this is a question I want to ask both of you, knowing all this. That like Ellie, I think you hit the nail on the head that just everybody's feeling it right now and to try to give yourself grace. But this is a conversation that we've been having in the industry for a long time. But do you worry that these rising costs I mean, clearly they've got to in some way are affecting accessibility of bringing more people into the sport, right? Like, how do you, how do you balance that knowing it? Ellie, do you want to go first? 
Oh boy. So I think, I think this is a tough one. And I think this has been a tough conversation for a long time. Like just being open and honest as someone who grew up as, you know, I was an eight year old kid working and cleaning 40 stalls on the weekends to afford to keep my horse there. My, you know, 29 year old Appaloosa pony. Like, I mean, I was doing those things because I could not afford it. Like my mom was just visiting me and we were talking about how I used to get bullied by the other barn kids and they would make comments like, oh, you know, you can't afford your your own show pony. So you just get my sloppy seconds and things like that. And uh, I mean, that was, oh, God, I don't want to talk about how many years ago that was because that's terrifying to think I'm that old. But I think that's, you know, it's something that's definitely not new in this industry. But I think that it's it's showing up again because it's definitely creating a big gap because the people who, you know, work full time jobs and have horses, you know, maybe even one horse and want to be able to go to shows, it's it's even more expensive now. And I think that that has made it difficult. I don't think it's necessarily the industry specifically that has made it difficult. I think, you know, the inflation is everywhere, whether it's, you know, for, you know, paying for your farm electric or paying for your home electric. So I think that that's, it's kind of created a big gap between the people who have that extra money to be able to show and the people who are having to cut back, if that makes sense. And I think, I think it's just important to like acknowledge that, you know, everyone that goes in the show pen doesn't necessarily come from the same place. So if you're, you know, going to knock somebody or think poorly of them for having, you know, a cheaper saddle or maybe, you know, a, you know, a naggy horse, like I think that I think now is especially the time where you should just be excited that people are wanting to share in the love for the sport and the love for the animals. And I think it's important to help people out in any way that we can, you know, whether that's monetarily or otherwise, like even just, you know, I mean, when I go and teach lessons, right, I don't need to, but I, I take a couple dollars off if I'm doing more than, you know, one lesson that time. I'm like, well, you know, I only had to drive out here once, you know what I mean? Because they are people that are working full-time jobs. They don't have expensive horses. You know, they're just trying to continue their education in the sport. And, you know, and I admire that. And yes, does it, you know, hurt me a little bit when I'm paying my bills that month? Yes. But I feel like I, I'm doing that as a, as like my own kind of give back to our sport, because I think it's so important to, to have a wide range of people and accessibly being able to be a part of our sport. Well said, Ellie. All right, guys, it's time for Rose and Thorn. Who wants to go first? I can go first. All right. So I'll start with my Thorn. This past week, we were at Tryon, which was not my Thorn. It was great. You know, we love Tryon, everything. We go hook up the big truck. I drive Doug down there first thing in the morning. We hook up the big truck. No big deal. Go to trailer parking, like day parking. We parked at barn four, like, so it's not far, but we park it and it's, 
I mean, it's a big rig, so we're not in the way, but like you wouldn't want to leave it there more than a couple hours type thing. So we get everything packed up, we jump, and then we put four horses on my trailer. We pull forward and we go to move. We call the big, big rig Frank. We go move Frank up and he won't start like at all. And so we sit there, we like, Doug's like, oh, come bring it. So I bring my, at this time, actually the horses are not in my trailer yet. Cause we think, oh, it's not a big deal. So the horses are not my trailer. I bring my truck and trailer around and we jump it. And we sit like 20 minutes jumping it. He's like, I just don't think your truck's going to be strong enough, even though it's got two batteries. So he like flags down a maintenance guy and gets like the dump trucks. And I was like, okay, well, it sounds like it's the battery, like it's fine. So I go load up the FEI horses, you know, with Sam Sheridan, everyone's helping, but we go load up. I go to the main barn again. We get two more national, one of the stallions and one of the other national horses and they're in the trailer. And I'm like, okay, Doug, like, why is your truck not starting? Like it should be done in no time. And he's like, I don't know. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a problem. But long story short, it doesn't start. I have four horses on the trailer. We can't get it out. So he's like, I think it's the batteries. Everyone says it's the batteries. It will be no big deal. I'm like, okay. He's like, I'm going to run to AutoZone real quick, get the batteries. I said, okay, well, we have four horses on my trailer. Let's rearrange everything because we were driving a car as well. So I take the truck home with the horses. Long story short, the starter is now dead on the truck and we can't get it started. And it's Sunday afternoon. It's blocking everything. So it becomes like an epic pain. Longer, longer story short, we got it all resolved. Somebody at Tryon had a maintenance guy that was going to come out the next day. We got it all figured out. Doug did have to go make one more trip to get some more horses, but it all worked out. But oh my goodness, for like 30 hours, I was like, okay, we have eight horses at Tryon that need to get home eventually. (laughs) And this is like such a long process. But so that is my thorn is that it was a lot and it was a lot on our poor girls and everything else. So poor things, everybody had to deal with a lot, but we made it through and we got it. And so that was kind of a pain, but we made it through. So that is definitely my thorn. Equipment (laughs) knows when it's time (laughs) that you need to do something and it just, (laughs) well, and the worst was like, we've been going for so many weeks that like, we have like three weeks at home right now. And we're like, Oh, this will be like such a good downtime for like half our employees. They can take a couple days and like, Nope, poor Sheridan stuck in try on like with eight horses. And I'm like, okay, well, eventually we will get you home. I promise. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But she's such a trooper and everybody was amazing. And, you know, when they say it takes a village, it really does take a village, but we got it all done. But my rose is that I feel like this is always my rose these days, but I went to PT. I'm still doing physical therapy for my leg and everything. And I had a friend go, I didn't know you're still doing physical therapy. I'm like, well, until I'm like a hundred percent, like I'm going to keep going because yeah, I look good and I can walk, but like, I'd like to get back you know, really strong again. Of course. So I went to yeah. physical therapy and I have almost like full flexion and I can, I'm definitely fully straight, which is amazing. And I'm now doing more and more exercises, but I can walk, it's say 90% of the time you don't see a limp at all, which is for me amazing. So in a short of, 
I mean, it feels like an eternity, but in the long run, a short amount of time, like it really is coming along and doing well. So that is definitely my rose is that physical therapy is still going well and I'm improving every time. So that's all you can really hope for. I know. Good for that's you, awesome. Jess. You're, you're getting so close, you know? Getting so close. And I've been riding, which is great. But I think in the next couple of weeks, everybody thinks I should be able to, like, I can get on by myself and everything now. So that's nice. I don't have to have, like, I still have somebody hold the horse to make sure it doesn't move. But I don't have Sheridan, like, holding my leg and trying to get on and all that to make sure it's, like, stable. So I'm actually really, really excited that it's finally feeling a little bit more normal. Good. Which one of you are next? Ellie, you want to go? Sure. I'll start with my thorn because it's really sad. Unfortunately, I had to I had to put down my diabetic Cushing's cat Aww, uh, last no. week. Yeah, it kind of sucked. I mean, she she's gone through a lot. Obviously, she has like every illness that is possible <laughs> for a cat. But they, they did an ultrasound because her... Her heart was sounding a little funny and they found that either she had a really large mass on her heart or she had had a blood clot in her heart. Either way with like her fragile skin and stuff, she wasn't a surgical candidate. And if it was a blood clot, it was only a matter of time before she threw another one that would give her a heart attack or a stroke or something like that. So I had to do like the put her down on a good day kind of thing. So that was tough, even though I only adopted her. Because I was working at the shelter and I didn't want her to die in a cage, <laughs> which is somehow how I get all of my animals. I'm like, I just don't want you to die here. So, it, I mean, that was tough. But like, I I found this lady that I used to work with when I was as a receptionist for a small animal, and she actually does at home euthanasias. So it was really great because I was able to, you know, spend the day with her and just feed her whatever the heck she wanted, and and I was able to do it like you know, relaxing for her. There was no stress of going to the vet and stuff. So I think that was, that was good about that, but definitely, definitely hit me hard for sure. But my, my rose is that my mom came to visit me, which was really exciting because my, my birthday was on Monday, which is kind of terrifying to be closer to 30. Um, I know you guys have gone through that. Okay. But for me, it's definitely a little terrifying, (laughs) especially when your mom's like, no, you're 26. And I'm like, no mom, I'm not. (laughs) And she's like, oh my God. So my mom was coming to grips with, she was like, I'm old. I was like, yeah. So it was nice. We, we were able to hang out together and, uh, we went for, we went for a trail ride. Thankfully before, the skies turned to ash. I was able to, you know, we were able to ride and stuff. And that was fun. We just kind of walked around the hay fields and stuff. So that was nice. And it was just good to have her visit and stuff. So definitely a a positive for me. But what have you got, Justine? Oh, well, I'm sorry about your cat, Ellie. That's the worst. So sad. Thanks. Hmm. Good question. Rose would probably be this weekend. My friend Katie and I, who's sort of like my partner in crime, who I event with, she has a lovely three-year-old Irish filly that she's bringing along. So she's sort of like Wyatt's, you know, low-level green buddy (laughs) on, on these trips and our horses love each other. And she's, her horse Paisley is like Mikey's best friend. So we've evented together now, like with two horses that are buds. 
We went up to Tallahassee, which is a good hike for us. It's about four hours to haul up there to a beautiful oh, wow. farm up there called Mayhan Farm. They put on a wonderful schooling series, but it's it's pretty serious. Like they put out a pretty beefy cross-country course and it's a little bit more of a spookier environment for the young horses to kind of see and take in the sights. So we were excited to go up there and Wyatt was like a superstar. He finished on his dressage score. He was second in the division, which is very exciting. Yeah, but the best part of the weekend was just being at this beautiful place where the weather, like it was like highs in the 60s in the morning. And oh, I haven't felt that in months where I was like, oh perfect. So, <laughs> so nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> like so far, it felt like we weren't in Florida. It was amazing. And we stayed an extra day to like school at another farm that was nearby. And both young horses were just like super excellent and took in the new environments, like total pros. And we had like very constructive rides. So it was all in all just like a really fun weekend with great horse friends. Like the girl, Lindsay, who runs the horse shows, we know just, you know, from being in Ocala and stuff. And she was always like super welcoming and a friend of ours Krista who lives in Tampa was also there so she hosted this like amazing happy hour for all the adult riders the night before the horse show with like this great spread outside of her horse trailer it was fun it was just like one of those horse shows that like you were just with the best group of people you know like you knew enough people there that everyone was so kind and everyone had a good time so I'm riding high after a really good weekend. And then my thorn is, well, I got my truck back finally. So I'm no longer driving the rental car that I Oh, that is in great it. for your hay situation. I yeah. know. But, <laughs> but the thorn is there are still problems. So while I was like, oh, the truck's great. Like, let's haul it four hours back and forth this weekend with the horse trailer. And then we realized that they did not fix all the damn things. So it must no. go back. And I'm, uh, you know how mad like that gets you in the moment where I was just like, I might need to ruin someone's life. <laughs> yep. I'm so mad, you know, with the customer service of this place. Like it's been a two month ordeal and this is insane. It was just my bumper. How are like bolts falling out of the bottom of my truck? It's crazy. So mm. I'm trying not to freak out about it. But anyways, the truck, like it made it, but there's, there's problems. Moral of the story is don't get in a car accident right now because I think all of the auto body places are just super slammed and have supply chain issues. And I'm just a victim of all of that. So PSA, drive safe. You don't want to end up in the situation I'm in. So yeah. that is my joke. <laughs> all right. But we have a mailbag from Karen who posted in our Facebook group. She wanted to hear more about shipping boots. Do people still use these? She wanted to know, like, should she be concerned about, you know, ligament and tendon damage? Because obviously we know there's some research out there that suggests that overheating the legs obviously isn't a good idea and keeping them wrapped in transit. Is that overheating them? So curious on your thoughts. Maybe just you want to start yeah, as somebody who I was gonna ships say, all I over? I can definitely start first. Yeah, you ship a lot. <laughs> I yeah. ship a lot. Yes. <laughs> So we do use shipping boots and we use wraps and we do it for different horses for different reasons. So wraps can be hot as well. The back on tracks can get hotter or we can use the white, just plain cotton, like no bows. Uh, We on easy hauls and stuff like that, absolutely use the shipping boots. They're great. I love the fact they go all the way down to the horse's like bottom of the leg so that you know, if they're standing next to a horse, 
and it like, you know, we've had them like step close enough that like, you know, it's gotten contact with their foot or whatever. It goes all the way down. It protects all of that. So as a rule of thumb, we generally do the shipping boots first. And then if the horse is a little weird, then we'll do certain wraps or wrap them. Or if they've just been done jumping a big class and we've iced them, we let their legs dry and then we wrap them and then ship them home. So we do kind of a variety of things. More often than not, we're not shipping in the heat of the day. We're either shipping at night or first thing in the morning. So we haven't really had to worry about actual heat on them. We have been in that situation where then we just check on them and we do have fans in the trailers and stuff too. So it kind of is a different situation where we're not really dealing with the heat heat. And a lot of times we'll just monitor it because yes, the shipping goods can get hot, but so can the wraps. And if they're by themselves in a trailer, I'd probably feel more comfortable not wrapping them or putting yeah. shipping boots on them. Good so point. then in the heat of the day, I'd say, yeah, absolutely. They're probably going to be fine. Maybe throw on some bell boots so they don't like, you know, interfere. But with the fact we're shipping usually a ton of horses, anywhere from nine to you know, 15 plus, they're usually enough in the trailer that they're close enough together. I worry that if they go to fight, I don't really want them to interfere with the next one. They're all fairly good, but we know they're horses and like to get in trouble. So we have had great success with majority shipping with uh, shipping boots and then sometimes just putting on wraps. Cause if they paw a lot or they tear up the shipping boots, like it's not worth it. So then those particular yeah. horses go in wraps instead. Yeah, I'm with you too. So I like, Actually, a perfect example is my friend Katie's young mare, who I just hauled this weekend. She is someone who's like very dancey in the trailer and has come off the trailer in the heat of summer when we didn't put boots on them and cut her legs. Like we're, yeah. she's just mm-hmm. dancing. And my trailer has the divider, like their feet can't touch each other. But in Katie's trailer, they can. You know, it's just like the bars and the dividers up high, but their legs can get intertwined. So we're not exactly sure what happened that day, but she cut herself pretty good. Like it was a wake up call. So like that one always has some type of back boot protection on her legs, whether it's just stand like plain standing wraps. But I'm also big on the back on tracks, too. Mm-hmm. I've just always wrapped mine just because for God forbid, like just protection from the elements of what could happen in an emergency situation with a trailer. But yeah, I'm mindful of like, do I keep my horse wrapped overnight if I'm going to a horse show in August? No. You know what I mean? But in the trailer, I feel like some form of protection is warranted. Even if we're like going just for a trail ride and it's five minutes down the road, I just might slap on like my Eco Gold exercise boots on their legs. Like something I would ride them in just to give them some sort of like outward protection in the trailer. But I've definitely in the past put nothing on my horses and been fine when they're alone but mm-hmm. if they've got a buddy next to them i generally put some protection on them what about yeah. you ellie i agree with you guys i i've done both you know i feel like i do a lot more wrapping just because most of my trucking recently has been to the equine hospital yeah so, <laughs> so you gotta, i'm like yeah I'm like, I'm trying to stabilize everything. Um, So I feel like that gives them, I mean, I like to like for longer distances, especially like when I was trucking Berkeley to and from college, you know, it was like five and a half hours for him. So 
I definitely wrapped him for that. I didn't use the shipping boots. But when I'm going just to like the fairgrounds, it's like 25 minutes from my house. They are a lot easier just to whoop, whoop, just flip them on and go. But yeah, mostly recently. I mean, plus I have a step up trailer. So I'm one of those mm. people that like, I mean, it's it's obviously super, you know, padded. It's got the big rubber things on the back. So they're not going to like, you know, hurt themselves on the trailer for that. But I'm always just very careful about it because they do step down off of it. So I I wrap them just for for their protection because I have terrible luck. And I know if I didn't, (laughs) something would probably happen. So, right. Yeah. But yeah, I've never I've never seen specific like if anyone knows it correct me and show us in the group um, on Facebook, but I've never seen an overheating study done for shipping boots specifically. I've seen it for like exercise, like polar wraps versus, you know, other exercise leg wraps, but I've never seen it done for shipping boots. I don't think I've had any of my horses really ever get very hot in the shipping boots. They're pretty, they're pretty like wick away kind of, I've never seen them get that hot. So yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. We should keep the discussion going. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have a question for us and you want us to answer it on the air, you can send us an email by going to hello at heelsdownmedia.com or you can join our Facebook group. Uh, we have really great discussions in there all the time. That's the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. You can search for that. And if you want to hear more from us, you should subscribe to the Heels Down Spark. You can do that by going to bit.ly slash spark by hd and we want to say thank you to our partners this week purina all right guys that's a wrap cheers cheers, cheers.